Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I want to thank you for all for coming into my home for church on Sunday morning. And I want to thank everybody coming from SoundCloud and all over the world. God bless you. And thank you for joining Gospel Saving Church. Another beautiful day uh, that the Lord has given us. I'm so thankful that the Lord has brought us all here again. I'm so thankful that the Lord is still revealing in His Word all kinds of truths, and which means that He hasn't given up on mankind, even though the age grows more sinful and sinful, and people grow more sinful and sinful each and every day. So we thank God that He's merciful. Amen. Thank God He's merciful. Anyway, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer before I start my service, before I start my thoughts from last week's message, I would appreciate it, and that way we can ask the Lord to bless the service and bless our minds and our hearts so we would be able to receive his word today. So Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for all your goodness, Lord. We thank you for, as I just said, Lord, as the people of the world and as the world and as the wickedness grows more abundantly every single day, Lord, you still reveal your word, Lord, through your holy word, through me and through your Holy Spirit and over your Holy Spirit through me, I should say, Lord, and your Holy Spirit through other preachers, Lord, all over the world, Lord, and we we know that is that is you reaching out to mankind, Lord. And we know that even though the world and the people of the world is growing more wicked in abundance, Lord, we know that you're still reaching out because you love. So, Lord, I thank you that you can love me and, and others, even though we're wicked and even though we're sinful, Lord God, despite our wickedness and despite our sinfulness, Lord. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, I just want to ask that you bless this time that we get to study your word today, Lord. Bless our hearts, Lord. I pray by your Holy Spirit you would show us and teach us, Lord, what we ought to learn today. Lord, reveal these spiritual truths to our hearts, Lord God, as we know that your word says that only your Holy Spirit can do this, Lord. We and our flesh and blood can't understand your word, and we can't understand you, but only by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you you bountifully, Lord, are pouring them out now across the face of the planet, Lord, just showing people who you are, and I'm thankful for that. Please bless this message, and please bless my lips and my mouth that I may not stutter, and that I may speak clearly, Lord, and people may understand, everybody that's listening and will ever listen to this message, Lord, may understand what you have to say to us today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for all your love and your grace and your mercy. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Alright, so before I go through my thoughts from last week's message, in case you guys want to turn, uh, any of you who haven't turned already, if you don't already know where we're at, we're in First uh, Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 8 through 15, which is just a continuation on, because I teach verse by verse throughout each book, whatever book I'm studying in the Bible, so again, that's First Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, and you guys can get that ready and get that prepared as I'm going through my thoughts from last week's message, The Mediator. So upon the main verse of last week's message, remember 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, and those false religious teachings that teach people that they can pray to and through others to get to God. I just have one more thought on this terrible practice. And God really put this on my heart this week as I was, I, had, I don't even think I'd opened it up to start studying, but the Lord showed me something that uh, I had forgotten about and I didn't cover last week and I thought it's perfect to cover this week. So I want to tell you this. When I or you or for anybody were to teach you that you that, that to practice praying to others is okay, then they're not only making it almost impossible for you to become saved 
and and go to heaven and be born again, but they're also taking your chance to be free away. Oh, what do you, what do you free? Yes, the Bible says that there's only freedom in Jesus Christ. And when you teach people the Bible truth of making Jesus, and when or excuse me, when you don't teach people the Bible truth of making Jesus Christ their only mediator, then we or you or I wouldn't automatically run to Jesus Christ only for everything. And if people, we aren't running to Jesus only for everything and praying through him to God for everything we need and every problem that we have, then we are running to pray through someone else who cannot help us. Look at what Jesus Christ says about how he gives freedom alone. John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, notice if you abide in my word, the word that is in my Bible, the word that's in God's word, you are my disciples indeed. And now if you're doing this, if you're abiding in his word, listen, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. See, he says, in my truth, you can be free. Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus goes into a synagogue and he reads a, a prophecy of the book of Isaiah that's talking about himself. And this is what he reads. He reads Luke 4, 18 and 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, meaning God, has anointed me, the Messiah, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, which is freedom, to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, to, so to set free those who are oppressed. Freedom in Christ. And he goes on to say, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, the, probably the most powerful scripture in all the Bible, to me, one of them, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest, he says. Not anybody else. I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So start learning what I taught. For I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Freedom. For your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you and listen, we have those that promote Christ as freedom for you and me and for the world. But you will not find one place in the entire Bible that the Bible teaches you that anyone else that you pray to can give you freedom. None of the saints, Mary, you can't pray to anyone, any other God. There's no freedom in any of that. There's only freedom and peace and rest for your soul. In Jesus Christ. So if you don't come to God through Christ only, then not only is God not going to hear your prayers like we listened, like we heard last week, but you can never try find true rest and freedom in Him. When you come to God straight through Jesus Christ alone, it will set you free, and you can have what I call the sweet release. Think of that, the sweet release. Now you may be saying, Pastor Ed, what are you talking about? Free from what? We're not slaves. Or maybe you are in your country, but here in America, most people aren't slaves like a biblical slave where they have no other choice but to be a slave. But you are, or people are slaves. So freedom from what, you may say? 
Well, number one, freedom from staunch religion and trying to work to make God happy. Because you see, the Bible says that religious works don't please God and make him happy. Only in Christ Jesus can we have real joy and real freedom and real rest. Not in practicing of religious works. Freedom number two, to have a direct, intimate, personal relationship with God. Because you see, nothing and no one can attain an intimate, personal relationship with God for you except through the only mediator, that's Jesus Christ. And freedom number three, from sin and its bondage and penalty. You see, Bible says we're born into sin. And we're headed for hell as a natural human being. That's how people are born, into sin, right? And it come the age of accountability, if they don't make a choice for Christ and they, choose, they don't choose Christ, then they're bound to sin. And its penalty, of course, is hell. And, of course, Jesus came to set us free from sin and death and make us free and give us freedom from the slavery of sin and to give us peace. Freedom, lastly, because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin on the cross so your and my sin could be forgiven, and all we have to do is come to God through Christ, the only mediator, to be set free. So you see, if anybody teaches you to not pray through Christ only as your only mediator, then you can never be free. Free from all the things we talked about. Free to be the person in love with God that God just wants you to be. A person that's found Him and then just in love with Him. Not trying to work your way to Him, but being free. To love Him like you would love someone that just, you know, loves you. Right? So please, if this describes you and you pray to or through anyone, Mary, the saints, or any other God, you'll never be free And God won't hear your prayers. So please, right now, stop doing that. Stop practicing those things. And come and be free. Wow, praise God. Freedom. Freedom was the kind of the title of the overview and so uh, or the thoughts from last week's message. But let's get on to our new message. We're going to be again in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 15. And the title of our message today, it's kind of a shocker. It's kind of one I believe God gave me. You'll have to see if it fits, you know, by the end. But I want to get your attention too. But the title of our new message is God's Not a Sexist. The title of our new message, God's Not a Sexist. So let's read 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15, and then I'll talk about it. The Bible says, verse 8, Paul writing again here to Timothy. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, and in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And verse 12, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Eve was not deceived, or and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, you could say first, fell into transgression. 
Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So today, we read a very, very, very controversial section of Scripture in the Bible, in our day and age. It's very controversial, and we'll get to that a little later. Uh, but the title, you could be looking forward to, you know, something that has to be doing with God not being a sexist. So today, recapping, that was just kind of a little quick overview today. We read of Paul continuing to teach Timothy and even us and all the Christians of the church of his day on how the Christian structure is supposed to work. Remember, this letter from Paul to Timothy was meant to help him pastor this church in Ephesus. Remember, he left them there while he went away to pastor or lead this church. Looking back, chapter 1, what was it? It was Paul's salutation to Timothy, right? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he starts telling Timothy about little, some things about himself, and then we hear some things about Christ, and then we hear some things about God, about how God's the Savior, and you know, Christ is the mediator, and we learn all these different things about Paul and Christ and, and God Almighty. That was in chapter one, verse or uh, chapter two, verses one through seven. Paul lays down his first points of the structure and foundation for the Christian church in Ephesus. For what? For the spiritual practices, the spiritual things that Timothy and the members of the church were to be practicing. Remember, in First Timothy two one through four, for Paul exhorts Timothy and the Christians in Ephesus. In light of the spiritual battle that we're in, remember we studied this, to fight for prayers for others. Remember, because, you know, God says, uh, use your weapons of warfare. We talked about that sermons, the the weapons of warfare, right? Well, notice, just as an aside, notice that the first section of church structure, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that the first spiritual practice that Paul exhorted Timothy and the Christians to be practicing was to pray and to pray for the lost world, to pray for the lost peoples. That's important. I'll come back to that. It reminds me, though, of Peter's very first sermon to the very first, basically the the, the Christian church as it was born in Acts 2.42. Peter and all the other disciples, including all the women, are up in the upper room waiting for the promise of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, tongues of fire, so on all their heads they start preaching in all different languages. People down below in Jerusalem are looking up, going, man, it's only the ninth hour, and these people are already, or it's only the third hour, and these people are already drunk. Peter looks out. He starts preaching. Well, after he preaches, 3,000 people get added to the church that day. Basically, the Christian church is born at that very moment. Well, right after the Christian church is born, we read about the foundational church structure that the first disciples started practicing. Acts 2.42, the Bible says, and they continued steadfastly. That means that they, they, with diligence, these are the things that the early Christians, the very first Christians, basically, of the new church started practicing. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That would be the teaching, because none of the none of the gospels were written down yet. None of the epistles were written down yet. So the apostles, which were Peter and James and John and all those, were started preaching. So their doctrine, their teaching, and fellowship. So getting together in the breaking of bread, eating together, and in prayers. Those four things were the very er- most early principles of the earliest Christian church that, there, that there's recorded in Scripture. Those four basic fundamental things of all Christendom were practiced right there that day, and they started that day in the very birth of the Christian church. Well, 
Prayer was the fourth thing on the list that the original disciples practiced, and the first thing that Paul exhorts Pastor Timothy to teach his congregation to do here. How important do you think prayer is? Paul encourages these Christians here in the Ephesus church, and and the very first disciples, that was the fourth thing that they were doing, they were praying. Prayer is not, I can't even explain how important prayer is. Prayer for you, between you and God, absolutely, you can't do without it. You can't have a relationship without communication. Prayer is your communication to God. You don't have, can't have a good relationship with your wife or your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend if you're talking to them. What makes you think you can have a relationship with Almighty God or Jesus Christ if you're not talking to them? God says there's a world that's lost out there. I want you to pray for the lost. You know, Paul tells Timothy, pray for the lost. I, God wants people to get saved. Prayer is our weapon, is one of our weapons of warfare that God wants us to be exercising in order that he can touch the world through our prayers. That's the way he's kind of designed it. Prayer is invaluable to a Christian. Prayer, I can't say enough. Pray, 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 Christians. Talk to God, talk to God, talk to God, and talk to God some more. Because that's what he ultimately wants. That's why you were created, to have fellowship with him. Amen. So Paul here exhorts prayer as the first spiritual practice to the whole Ephesian church, but you know, writing this letter to Timothy, both men and women should be practicing and then they should be practicing prayer as a lifestyle. And he does this in his first points of church structure to Timothy in chapter two, verses one through seven. But now, as we just read, in case you didn't catch it, and in the title, you probably already did, but now in chapter two, verses eight through 15, Paul continues his teaching on church structure, but we read here that he divides men from women in regards to each of their responsibilities, their duties, and their authority in the church of the living God while in church. I'll explain that in a little bit. Now, although God loves men and women the same, so in love, whether man or woman, God loves you and me the exact same. Doesn't see a boy, a girl, a man, or a woman any different. Loves us all, all the same. In his eyes, he loves us all the same. But the Bible says here and in other places that God does see men and women different as far as authority and responsibilities go in the church and in the home. So let's look at what Paul says here that some of the responsibilities of men are in God's church. And I'm not doing that because I'm sexist either. Understand, this is the first thing that Paul writes about. He writes here about men's responsibilities in the church first. I'll tell you why I believe that in a second. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Paul to Timothy, for the church, church structure, I desire therefore, you know, in light of all these things I've been writing, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, and as they're praying, that they pray without wrath and without doubting. So his first charge to men in the church is that they pray everywhere. Now, you may be saying, that's praying everywhere, right? I mean, everywhere could be everywhere, all means all, but yes. Men, women alike, we already just read that, should pray everywhere. But here, I believe that Paul is saying that men should be praying everywhere in the church. Why would I say that? Why would I say this particular everywhere and all the rest of the section would be 
and everywhere. Well, if you just scroll down just a little bit to what we're going to be studying, we'll probably get to it next week or the week after, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul recaps this whole little section that he's done here. Chapter 3, 14 and 15, Paul says this of what he's been writing since chapter 2 started and all the way through chapter 3. He He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God. That's where we get the whole context of chapter 2 starting the foundational principles of the structure of the Christian church that God was laying down through Paul to Timothy here. Paul says, hey, these things I'm writing, they're so that you have a foundation, you have a structure, you know how to run the church, Timothy. Hey, pray first, pray for others, you know, we know that now we're separating men and women, I want to teach you what men are supposed to do in the church, and I want to teach you what women are supposed to do in the church. So, I believe men are supposed to pray everywhere, as we already read, read men and women are supposed to pray everywhere, I mean, wherever we go. But here specifically, Paul saying, I want men to pray everywhere in the church, because Paul references in 3.15 that I want you to know how to act in the house of God. So, now as men are praying everywhere in God's church, look at how Paul exhorts us to pray in the church. And I think you'll see that this everywhere here is in the church because he says that we're supposed to pray with hands lifted up. Well, if we were in public as Christian men praying with our hands up, what's that going to do? That's going to like make people's eyes focus on us. Look at us. And when you read about Jesus praying and how he said to pray, he didn't say, pray everywhere so that everybody can see. Oh, pray so loud so that the whole world looks at you. No, that's not praying with humility. That's praying to be seen. Now, man, I'm not saying don't pray everywhere and ever, don't ever lift up your hands. But I will say this, this here, we should use discretion on praying everywhere with hands lifted high in public, maybe not so we could be seen, find a little corner or something. I've done that. Nobody's looking. I'm looking around. I say a prayer. I kind of raise my hand to God just to honor him and to obey scripture. And so that's what I do. But nevertheless, I think this is praying everywhere in church. And then now you can imagine walking around church, praying with your hands lifted high. That's what Paul said that men should be, men can be doing, should be doing in the church. Now, so praying everywhere, Hands lifted up in the church, praying also, he says next, without wrath. What does that mean? Well, while we're praying, it's real easy while we're praying, at least it has been for me, it's real easy as I'm praying that little devil, he shoots that old thought in there of somebody that's hurt me in the past, maybe. Somebody that's done me wrong, somebody that's betrayed me, somebody that, you know, the last person that passed me in the car, you know, that cut me off, and I'm, oh, You know, and as I'm praying, what's going on? I'm maybe starting to get angry about some things that people have done to me. But Paul exhorts here that we should pray without wrath. So having no anger, getting rid of all anger while we're praying, and just, you know what, praying in love. As those thoughts come in, you know what, no, I'm not going to meditate on those thoughts. No, Christ loved me, and the reason I'm even praying is because Christ loved me, so I'm going to pray in love. And lastly... Men are supposed to be praying without doubting while they're praying. 
without doubting. It's real easy while you're praying. I, I know it has been for me that as I'm praying to be like, is God really going to answer this prayer? Oh, I don't, and then having that, just that seed of, oh, Lord, please, you know, could, could you do this? Or, or Lord, help me with this. Oh, oh man, I, I, man, I did get mad at my wife the other day. Oh, is, is God going to hear me? If I, oh man, I, Oh, I did, I did commit that sin. Oh, man, I was, God, God. No, without doubting. That means that the Bible says if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And then if we start to have some doubt about maybe something that we've done that was wrong in God's eyes, and we started out, well, is God hearing my prayers because I've sinned or because I had an argument with my wife or whatever? Confess that sin, then then keep praying. Lord, no wrath and no doubting. Lord, I know your word says, Lord, this, that, and the other thing, and, 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 and stand on God's word and don't have any wrath and don't doubt while you're praying to God. Believe God for your prayers that you're asking him for while you're praying. This is how men, this is the structure of how men are supposed to be praying in the church, but some other of those things. Of course, we're not supposed to be praying with wrath anywhere. And we're not supposed to be praying and doubting anywhere either, wherever we are. And that could go for both men and women. But of course, this here specifically was for men. So prayer was important as church structure for both men and women. You know, the whole entire church in chapter 2, 1 through 7 as a lifestyle to practice. But now Paul tells men specifically that we're supposed to be radical people for prayer for God, even while we're in the church and in the church and we're lifting up our hands, then people know we're praying and they're going, I want to pray more like that guy. Now we're not calling attention to ourselves. Now we're being an example, a godly example, men, of how a man is supposed to pray to the younger men or even to the ladies when they want to go home or they're praying before the church service is starting. So let's move on. Prayer, we got that super important, but now let's move on to the foundational church structure and practice that women were and are supposed to follow in God's church. Remember chapter 3, 14 and 15. Let's look at verse 9 to how women now are supposed to be dressing and acting in God's church. Paul writes verse 9, in like manner. So, Just like the men are supposed to pray everywhere, this is what I want women to do in God's church. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, that'd be their dress, with propriety, that's an attitude, and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now, is Paul saying that women cannot dress up and have a nice pretty look to them when they come to God's church. Is that what Paul's saying? Is Paul a sexist? No, absolutely not. It, that's ridiculous. That's not what he's saying at all. Let's break down what Paul is saying here about how women are supposed to dress and act in the church of the living God. Let's break down the dress code for women first. He says that women first are supposed to dress in what? He says, modest apparel. What does that mean when we think of modest apparel? Well, uh, meaning here, wearing enough clothes, ladies, that all your cleavage and all your most of your legging is all covered up. That's modest. Modest is not exorbitant. Exorbitant, and modest is is very you know plain. Modest is very you know you know covered up. That's modest. Paul is telling ladies then here, and ladies now, that they're not supposed to come to church half naked. God, God's saying here, ladies, 
Don't come to church and show off all your goods. Hey, leave something to the imagination of men when, you, when it's time to date. But this is my church. Come to church dressed in modest apparel. And you may be thinking, if you don't go to a church and there's nobody that's doing that here in your church, you may be thinking, well, does that really happen? Absolutely. When I was uh, doing some street ministry down on Harry Hines in Dallas, one time I met this fella, and he was, I believe, homeless or really, really struggling, and we were talking about Jesus, and you know, he didn't really know what it meant to be saved and such, and so I, you know, we were talking about, you know, we told him what it meant to, to seek God and what it meant to be saved and things like that and how, how to seek God to do that, and, and I said, you know, one of the important things I mentioned to him was getting in church. You know, getting in a good Christian church where you can get built up and, and, and you can hear the pastor and the teaching and you get around godly men that'll help you walk with the Lord. And he said, you know, I, I hear you, and, but I'm paraphrasing now. But basically, this is what he told me. The last church I went into, most of the women there, their pants were and their shorts were so short that their butt cheeks were hanging out the back of their pants. And all I did while I was there was lust after all the women that were in the church because they were all dressed and they were all half naked. This is a true story. Now, this is Dallas now, mind you, but still, this is, we got Paul's staple here. This is how women should be dressing. And yet we have this fellow that said, when I went to church, this is what I saw. And you know what it was doing? How am I supposed to walk with God or seek God at the church when all I have is around me women with their breasts hanging out and their, 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 their bottoms all hanging out and they're in skimpy clothing? And that's not making me think about God. I was in awe because I had seen it before in church, but it wasn't the majority of the ladies in the churches that I had been to. Once in a while, the churches I had been to, you know, a lady would come in and, you know, and I think some of the godly ladies then would then take her under their arm and say, hey, you know, and maybe try to lead her and guide her. And what Paul said here, hey, you know, we're supposed to dress modestly in church. So that was kind of news to me, but still it happens. But now... This to this poor guy would have never happened if the ladies of this church were dressed in modest apparel, as Paul writes here. And I'll go a step further and say this upon what Paul's saying here about the church of God. I'll say that if you are a a real woman of God, I would say that the Holy Spirit would lead you to dress in modest apparel, ladies, if you're a real woman of God, because that's how a a godly woman would dress. God wouldn't want you hanging out and being half naked, looking like a prostitute. He wants you to honor him. And of course, he wants you to honor yourself and not look like, you know, a, a, a trashy person. Okay, so I would say that you as a godly woman, any godly woman should dress in a modest apparel, whether you're in church or whether you're out of church. But that's not, you know, if you're a godly woman, you're a godly woman. However you dress, you got to take that up to God. But here's what the scripture says. Godly women dressed in modest apparel. Moving on. Secondly, he addresses the attitude that a lady should have in God's church. He says here next that ladies should act with propriety. You're going to get a kick out of this one. I do read the King James Version once in a while. But I, mostly I read the New King James Version. This is what we teach out of here at Gospel Saving Church. Well, the King James Version Bible for propriety uses the word shamefacedness. That doesn't even sound very good. So ladies, you should come to church with a shamefacedness attitude. 
Wow, it doesn't even sound good. But I, so I looked up the real Greek word definition and what does this word propriety or shamefacedness mean? It means ladies should come to church with the attitude of a sense of shame or honor. Not a shame like shameful, like I'm hiding my face from, I can't look at anybody, but a sense of shame as far as honor, like being being proud, not being, you know, slutful or, you know, not being, you know, hanging out everywhere, but being honoring your body, uh, being modest, the definition says, being bashful, which means not just acting all crazy, being reverent, which means, you know, acting kind of in a holiness, regarding others, respect, and, 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 and these Think about it, if you're respecting someone and an attitude of respect, an attitude of bashfulness, not this is not a woman that's going to, you know, she's not jumping all over people and she's not acting all crazy and things like that. Just a, a reverent attitude, a respectful attitude. So that's that's their attitude that God would say, lady, ha- women have a respectful attitude toward men and, and people in the church. Next, Paul says that the actions of a woman or a lady in a church of God should be done with moderation. This word means self-control. Ladies need to be self-controlled, according to God in church. Being sober-minded. And this, we can say, should go even for men. Men should absolutely be sober-minded in church cleaning up their minds, keeping their minds on God in a church and not anything else in a church. Well, ladies, self-control. Ladies shouldn't be acting crazy or obnoxious, but they should be reserved, respectful, dressed in modest apparel. Kind of like, you know, a godly lady, which you could picture what a godly lady would look like in your mind. And he also ends here with this, whole dress and attitude. He says in verse 9 that ladies should not be wearing all kinds of super expensive clothing and jewelry and such. So Paul is simply saying here that ladies aren't supposed to dress, outdress their outfit. Okay? Lady has a nice modest outfit on. Well, don't look like Zsa Zsa Gabor or Lady Gaga in church. Okay? They're dressed to the teeth with all these jewels and all these pearls and all these things like that. And, and it's only, you know, they, they call it the bling-bling. You know, in our modern age today, they call it bling-bling, where you're blinged up with all this jewels and all these fancy diamonds and stuff. No, yeah, wear a nice necklace. Oh, wear a nice ring. Wear, you know, but be modest. Be simple. Be reverent. You know, be self-controlled. Paul's saying all these simple things. Now, why would Paul say that women are to dress and act in these ways in God's church? Is it because he's sexist? Was Paul sexist? Was Paul against women? Paul, oh, darn women, they ought to be under my shoe. No, absolutely not. Think about it like this. Think about all the things that I just talked about, how Paul says that a godly woman should act or a woman should act in God's church. Think about this. Just like, and, and keep in your mind the guy we talked about too earlier, the guy that I met on the streets and witnessing to him for the Lord. If a lady is dressed too revealing and she's too friendly, you should say maybe in a sensual or flirtatious way, acting kind of on the crazy side, acting really wild and kind of free, and she's all prettied up with expensive jewelry, and then one of the men of the church going to be thinking about when they're looking at that lady? What are they going to be focused on 
while they're looking at the kind of lady that that fella on Harry Hines described to me. Because I can tell you, they're sure not going to be thinking about God. They're sure not going to be thinking about God. I know in the past when I was a younger Christian going to churches, if a lady or two or three walked in and they were dressed in this way that this fellow told me about on the streets, I know that I had a hard time focusing on God in the message. Rather, my eyes wanted to wander at that pretty lady that was over, you know, that she was overweight, you know, underdressed, and she definitely didn't look like she belonged in church. She looked like she belonged in a nightclub, okay? It, it, it's not going to be God, and, and I'll tell you what, it's going to be about that lady and all the sexy things about her. That's what guys are going to be focused on if there's this type of lady in church. And think about it. God's church is not supposed to be a place where you go to get a girl, or God's church isn't supposed to be the place where you go to get a guy. God's church is supposed to be a place where you focus on God Almighty. God's church is supposed to be a place where you focus on Jesus Christ. Plus, if a man's mind is on the lady dressed and you know, acting like I just described, a lady like I described with that fellow earlier, I guarantee you that his mind won't be on holy thoughts. He's not going to be thinking holy things of God. He's going to be thinking sex. He's going to be thinking sinful things. And you know what? That is not why anybody should go to church to think about that kind of stuff. We go to church so we can get purified, so we can leave all that stuff and be made more pure by hearing the preaching of the Word of God. That's why we're supposed to go to church. So yes, ladies, God's okay with you dressing up to look pretty, being modest and reserved in church, but God's not okay with you ladies dressing up in ways that cause men to stumble into sin and drawing attention to themselves because that's really what a lady is doing when she dresses too revealing. That's really what a lady's doing when she's not acting in respect and, and, and with reverence. She's acting shameful and she's drawing attention to herself. And if a godly lady would have the heart of God, if all if the women that went to church or the, even the godly women or the women at all that went to church would have this heart of God, they would be dressing up in modest clothing to help men seek God and not them. This is a... This is a very touchy spot, and you know I hope I'm being respectful. I'm not trying to be shameful here at all. But ladies, you know, we need to be dressing in a way that you know you could think, would this make a man look at me? And if you could say this is going to make a man look at me in church, then you need to not wear that outfit and you need to wear something like Paul says that's more modest. So Paul ends this bit of church structure and responsibility for ladies in God's church by saying that practicing all these ways is proper for a woman professing godliness while having good works, so being pious. So ladies, while you're dressing reverently or acting reverently, while you're dressing with modest apparel, having good works, serving the saints of God, serving the church, that's what he's saying, doing good works inside the church is what he wants you to do, verse 10. Now again, ladies, not really hard concepts to understand or practice, but you must practice them. And guys that are married, you have a responsibility too. If you're sitting next to your wife right now and you're thinking, you know, I let my wife dress whatever, guys, you have to be responsible too to correct your wife and to tell her, hey, you know, honey, that's not good that you dress like that going to church because you know what? It's too revealing. 
I want you to dress more modestly, as Paul says here, because otherwise I don't want guys to be looking at you. I love you, and you're my wife, and that you're for me only. And so, guys and ladies, we have a responsibility. Um, number one, to be obedient to God and obeying his word, because Paul said it here, and this is the word of God. And number two, we've got a responsibility uh, to help the fellows of the church, including all the guys that are listening now. Help the fellows of the church to be holy and not sin. So now today, there's no doubt about it, but many churches are full of ladies not dressing and acting like Paul says here. And because of that, many are caught in sexual sin. And the Bible says sexual sin is leading to hell. It's not just something, you know, like if we're caught up in sexual sin, the Bible says that if we're, you know, practicing adultery, if we're practicing fornication, then these things, then these that practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So the issue is a definitely a problem in, in the churches of America and ladies and even their husbands or boyfriends. We need to be doing a better job of dressing more modestly and acting more appropriate in God's church to obey God's word. Moving on. Next section of scripture. Uh, unfortunately, that's not all that Paul has to say about the Christian church structure and responsibility of women in God's church. Next, he says, verse 11. Let's read it. He says, on top of this, the way I want you to dress and act, I want you to act this way. He says, verse 11, let a woman, ladies, now this is to you, learn in silence with all submission. Okay. Is Paul saying that women cannot talk in church? Is Paul saying that a woman should not talk at all while in the doors or in the hall of God church? Uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, that's not what Paul's saying at all. Look, look at the words Paul used to describe what a lady is supposed to be doing, how she's supposed to be acting here. He's, he uses the word, he says, let a woman learn well, when are we going to be learning in church? We're not going to be learning during worship service, right? Are we going to be learning during the time that we have our morning donuts? You know, a lot of churches have donuts and coffee. No. Are we, as a woman, or anybody going to be learning after the church is over, when everybody's kind of gathered around and congregating and fellowshipping with one another? Absolutely not. When is a woman going to be learning in a church? When the pastor is speaking. So, Paul says, let a woman learn while the pastor's speaking in silence. Uh, he says, learn in silence. Don't be talking over the pastor. Don't be saying anything while the pastor's preaching. I'll even call guys out on this. Guys, don't be saying anything, Paul says, while a man, while a pastor is speaking. And then he, he says, with all submission. Basically, women are supposed to be attentive Listening in silence and obedient to, obedient to the word of God being taught as the male pastor is preaching the word of God. Yes, I can say male pastor only because if a woman is supposed to learn in silence, how can a woman be teaching if she's supposed to be learning in silence? And we can't have a woman teaching, as the Bible says, as Paul says here, because they have to be learning in silence, which leads us to Paul's next Huge point of church structure where he teaches the ladies' role in submission in God's church under the man. Now, don't shut me off, ladies. I want you to hear me out. This is a very sensitive subject in our day and age today. I want you to read verse 12 with me, though, and just listen to what the Bible says. Paul says here, And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, 
But again, he says, but to be in silence. He repeats that again, to be in silence. So he does not permit God through him saying, I do not permit a woman to, uh, to teach or have authority over men. Now, Paul didn't say that a woman couldn't be a leader or a teacher over other ladies in the church. Like if there's a women's ministry or a youth camp or the, you know, the child care, those aren't men. Those are children and those are ladies. A lady can surely have her leadership roles, the Bible says here, over these you know, types of people. But as far as men are concerned, Paul says that a woman should not have authority over men. Well, as I said about controversial, last week we read 1 Timothy 2.5 where Paul says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And I told you about how all the, the major sects of the religions today disagree with that. They, they teach people that they can pray through and to others to come to God and how that's a huge controversy like if you were to talk to a catholic about that they would really be upset with you because you'd say no the bible says this well no our catholic teaching teaches us this well that's really controversial well today in today's day and age all over the world in different countries and especially in america first timothy 2 12 is one of the most controversial verses in all the entire bible and many women disagree with it and our pastors today, and many churches disagree with this verse, and many churches allow women to be pastors and therefore leaders over the men of the congregation. And if you just want to know, just maybe you think I'm kidding about this, maybe you already know, but if you just want to know how controversial this verse really is in our world today, just Google, everybody's got Google, right? Just Google, woman pastors in America, or women pastors of the world, and just wait to see the astonishing results. I googled just this simple phrase, women pastors of America, and the search pulled up all kinds of websites that spoke about how many women pastors that there are. In fact, one website I'm going to read to you said thousands. So I googled this, uh, I clicked open on this site that said famous female pastors and the list of the top female pastors along with the name of the site. Once the site loaded, the title proclaimed famous female pastors. And the opening paragraph said this, and I'm not going to give you the name because I don't promote websites generally here if they're you know not really godly and this one was not really godly. Uh, it said this, list of famous female pastors listed by their level of prominence which means they've been doing it a while. They're important with photos when available. The greatest female pastors list contains the most prominent and top females known for being pastors. There are thousands of females working as pastors in the world, but this list highlights only the most notable ones. Historic pastors have worked hard to become the best that they can be. So if you're a female, this website is encouraging you to go against God's word. If you're a female aspiring to be a pastor, then the people are to be a pastor, then the people below should give you inspiration. So this particular website was inspiring and encouraging ladies to become pastors, even though Paul just said here, let not a woman have authority over a man. And all this is allowed, and all this is accepted today, despite the fact that Paul writes 1 Timothy 2.12, where he tells Timothy and Christians in his church as part of the fundamental, 
foundational church structure that a woman should not be in authority over a man, but under the male's authority. Now, I don't really think that Paul could have been any simpler or any clearer with his teaching about how uh, the authority of men and the submission of women in what he just said. So why here do people disagree? Uh, you know, I, I often have discussions with others and they say, well, you know, everybody has their way to read the Bible. And I say, yeah, but there's only one real way to read the Bible. And that's to read the Bible for exactly what the Bible says. And if we're not reading the Bible for what it says, then we're having to, you know, like we read it and then we, oh, that's not really, you know, uh, you know, then we make up an excuse. So why here do people, women especially, disagree with this verse so much? Because it is so simple. A pastor is a person of authority. Paul said, let not a woman have authority over a man. And if a pastor is a leader, then if a woman is a pastor, she's got authority over men, which completely goes against 1 Timothy 2.12. But why? Why do women and people have such a big disagreement? And it, why is this verse so controversial in our world today? Here's the main reason. People in our world today, especially women, a lot of women, believe that this particular verse is irrelevant in our world today. They'll, they'll tell you this. Uh, Paul only said this because in his culture, in his time, women were basically like slaves, you know, and they had no rights. But in our world today, you know, times have changed and, you know, women have had their movement and, you know, women are equal to men, you know, and that's the way it should be. And that's what people will tell you as they say that, you know, this verse is irrelevant to our day and age. And my response to that would be this. And if you're somebody out there and you're listening to this message and you're really angry with me, I, I hope you wouldn't be, but I want you to I want you to think about these things. My response to that today would be this. Yes, Paul wrote this as a man, and yes, in his culture. Women weren't the high, most highly recognized people, but Jesus did a lot in his day, believe it or not, for women's rights. But yes, Paul wrote this, but he wrote it, as God's word said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So really, Paul didn't write this at all, but God wrote this verse through Paul. And since God wrote this verse along with the whole entire Bible through people, who are you or me or anyone to say that what God wrote is irrelevant? The Bible says that God is yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he's the same and he doesn't change. And that God is from the beginning and God will be in the end. And there's no end to God. He's ageless. He knows everything. How could what God have written be irrelevant. God knows everything. So he only wrote that for then, but yet the Bible we know we're told is written for everyone. It's, there's prophecy in the Bible of the end of the world, how things are going to happen in the end of the world. So if God wrote things about the end of the world, he, did, he must have missed over uh, 2015 in America and the world? No, that's absolutely crazy. So to me, in the Bible, and knowing God, this movement of women pastors leading men and going against what God wrote in his word through Paul is terribly shameful because all this issue really amounts out to be is disobedience to the ways God laid down to run his church. 
God wrote this through Paul to help his church function. And now we got people today saying, oh, that's not, that's not relevant. Paul, God didn't mean that for today. God only wrote, that's ridiculous. And if we can say this, I want you to think about this. This is really, really, really interesting food for thought for you here. If you really believe that women are okay to lead men, if we can say that this verse is irrelevant, then how can we say that any of God's word is relevant? And when we say that, that none of God's word is relevant, because if this one's not, then how can we know any of them are? then we can just throw out the whole entire Bible because none of it applies to our day and age anymore. And when we do that, we reject all the standards and structure that God gave people in the Bible as far as his church and anything goes. And then when we do that, we will see even more destruction that we're in now. And if you really look at the key issue here of women being pastors, it's simply this, that a lot of people especially those that are running the so-called Christian churches, are very prideful and they don't want to follow God's ways of doing things because they think that they know better. And yet the Bible says that a Christian is supposed to be someone that follows the teachings of the Bible and the teachings of Jesus Christ and the teachings of his apostles. Anyway, as far as my belief is concerned, what I think is the accurate biblical belief I believe that whatever the Bible says is what a true follower of God in Christ should be practicing. And I believe that someone who does not obey God's teachings and His Word is not really a Christian at all. And they're not really saved because you can't be a child of God. You can't say you're a Christian means follower of Christ. Christ's apostle wrote this by inspiration from God. How can we go against what God writes and still say, I'm following God. You're not. You're explaining away because it's too hard. Now, you could go on the other route, and you could say, okay, well, I accept that, you know, the fact that God wrote this through Paul, and that men are supposed to be the leaders of the Christian church, and, you know, the pastors like the Bible clearly says here, but then you say that, you know, well, if that's the case, well, you know what? I don't know about God either then. Maybe he's a sexist. Maybe he's prejudiced against women. After all, Paul's pretty much saying here that men are the ones that are supposed to rule and ladies are not. Maybe God is a sexist. So, is God a sexist for making the rule that women or ladies must be silent and submissive to men in his church and that they can have a position of authority over men? Absolutely not. As I said earlier, God loves and adores ladies just as much as he does men. Jesus Christ even showed us this by the way he treated ladies. He treated ladies with respect. Remember, he was the first one that Mary and the other Marys were there, and he was the he was he let them see him first. And then he said, Hey, go tell the men. Now they didn't have authority over the disciples, but they were like his first apostles. They were his first people to go that he sent out to tell the guys. Not in the church, but to tell the guys the message that he gave them. So Jesus did more for women's rights than anybody did. So God loves women more as much as he does men. But, ladies and gentlemen, God has a structure and model of authority that that has men as leaders and not the women. But why, you ask? Why does he have this structure? Why does God choose men? 
to be the leaders. Why are men supposed to be the pastors and leaders of his church? Well, there's two reasons that Paul mentions here, and there's others elsewhere, but we're just going to focus on these here because we're kind of trying to wind down here. Look at verse verse 13 quickly with me. The first reason is, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Simply, men are God's messengers, men are God's leaders in his church because God made them first. In the Bible, even the firstborn in a family has all the promises. He has all the rights. He has all the, the, these blessings because he is the firstborn. Well, again, as Paul just said, God made Adam, not Eve, first. And there's a privilege to the firstborn that they get the right of leadership, that they get the right of kind of like the one that's the patriarch, kind of going to become the patriarch kind of of the family. But then there's even a greater reason. Look at verse 14, and this is the sad reason. Why are men God's pastors and not ladies, according to God? And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, and you could say first, because we know that she met him first, met Satan first, fell into transgression. So there's only one word that describes here why women are not the ones that God chose to lead the church, and that's sin. Guys, that's sin. Eve sinned first and disobeyed God's direct order. She didn't listen to Adam because Adam got the word from God, then gave it to Eve. And so Eve you know, disregarded God's word and her husband's word and listened to the devil. And then she led Adam to disobey God, which left her and every woman after her with the result of God's punishment for this sin. Genesis 3.16. To the woman God said, listen to what God says now, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. And your conception, in pain you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Ladies, Eve sinned and blew it all. Now, as God just said in Genesis 3.16, Paul says here, men are the leaders, men are the rulers of the house, of the church. Ladies are not. So no. God's not a sexist, and he does love men and women the same, but because of the right of the first creator, the firstborn, and the result of sin, men are God's leaders and the pastors, and supposed to be the pastors, I should say, and the leaders of the God's church, and women are not. Now, that's not all God has to say about men's and women's positions in the church and the relationships and marriage. The Bible even goes on to speak about how the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the family, rule over his family well, he's supposed to be the head of his wife and the stronger vessel while the wife is the weaker vessel. But we won't get a chance to talk about all that today. But Paul does address more about this role of men and women in God's church and in the family in starting in chapter 3 in the church structure to the Christian church in Ephesus. And we'll study these principles that I just talked on in the next week or two, but not for today. So today... I want you to know that I know that this is a very, again, this is a very sensitive subject that I brought up today with women. And I know that many women don't agree with what I just taught and will declare this teaching of Paul's irrelevant, you know, for our modern day and age. But I want to challenge all ladies, listen to me out there with this, as I said earlier, and I really want you to think about this point. If we call this scripture, this particular one scripture irrelevant, because it's just not to our day and age, even though God's eternal, then you can't really be sure what scripture is relevant for our day and age. 
And in fact, you go a little deeper and you say, well, if you say God's word's irrelevant, who are you really saying is relevant then? You're really saying if God's word isn't relevant, you're saying that man's word trumps God's word. Well, because man's laws and rules have changed, because man says, oh, this is okay, or people have said this practice is okay, well, then you know what? Because all of this happened and women had a liberation and all that, then God's word's not irrelevant. Then really what you're doing is you're saying man made the rules, while now God's got to take a back seat. And to me, that's just backwards, ladies and gentlemen. God is all in all. From the end to the beginning, always there, never a created one. We are the created. And who are we to say to the creator, no, Lord, uh, you know, our society says this. And you know what, Lord, you're wrong. And you know, that word that you were, that was only for then. No, I'm sorry. Because if you make this scripture irrelevant, you have to throw out all of God's word completely because how can you be sure any of it's relevant? And if none of it's relevant, then and we throw God's word up, then you got to start living by your own rules, which is what people are generally doing anyway, even those that call themselves Christians. And the Bible says that our ways lead to destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, God's ways are the ways that God wants us to live for a reason. Because he loves us. He only gives us the rules that he gives us because he loves us. Not because he hates us, not because he's against us, not because he's sexist, not because Paul's sexist, but because he loves us. So you today, and me, all of us, really need to decide who we're going to follow. You, yourself, or Jesus Christ, and his relevant word for today, tomorrow, and forever. Remember what Jesus said upon his word being forever. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away. Well, that's not now, so that means it's a future event. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus just said, my word, God's words, relevant forever. Not your word, man. Not, word, your, not your word, woman. Not your word, lady or child or anybody. God's word is relevant forever forever so if you have an issue with that what I, what I taught today i'd love to talk to you more about it personally i really would go to gospel saving church or soundcloud and click on the link and i gotta contact me my phone number's on there my email address on there i would really love to discuss this issue with you more but but i can't anymore today i'm, I'm probably going over time but ladies and gentlemen i implore you today by the living god who reigns on high forever and ever and ever I want you to please take God's word, the Bible, at face value and repent if you're explaining any of it away and disobeying the parts of it that you don't agree with or the parts of it that are kind of hard to swallow. Because I can tell you this today, there are a lot of things in the Bible that I have a hard time with and that I disagree with and that I have a hard time swallowing. But I believe with all my heart that God wrote it And that I must do what he tells me to do because I love him. If you really love him, you must be obedient to what the Bible says, what God says in his word. And you need to stop arguing with God and with what he wrote and just abide in his word and with him because there's freedom in that. Remember John 8, 31, 32, we talked about in the beginning. And Jesus, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. 
And please decide to make your life's goal this kind of person for God. Everybody, get anything out of this sermon. This is what I want you to take out of God's word. Take it as relevant for yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and take this. Whatever God says in his word, I must practice it, believe it, and abide in it. Remember, the very definition of a Christian is a follower of Christ and his ways and his followings and his teachings. And all the teachings of his apostles would all be included because he inspired them all to write what they wrote. So if you claim to be a follower of Christ today and you don't follow his teachings and what Paul and the rest of his disciples wrote by his leading them, then really you're a fraud and led by the devil and you really need to repent. I ask you to please examine your life today. And, walk, and, and, and your walk today with God to see if you're really abiding in God's word and practicing his ways. And if you're not, please repent. Turn to him. Look what he says to do. And simply start doing it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you for your teaching, Lord. Thank you for your truths. Lord, I just they're, they're so plain and they're so clear, Lord. Even though they're hard and they're difficult, Lord, because it means that we have to take all of our pride away and we have to be submissive, Lord. But Lord, I just thank you for your truth that you always give us your truth. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, help anyone and everyone that will ever listen to this message, Lord, accept these things in your word. Whether they agree with them or like them or whatever, Lord, help them to accept them and help them to repent, and help them get away from not following you, and not abiding in you, and not abiding in your word, Lord, but abiding in the truth, because as you said, Jesus, we shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. Help us all, Lord God, help us all to follow your word and abide in you. Please, dear God, and if there are any listening that are not, help them to repent and get right before you and start practicing the things that you said, not the things that they want to do. And I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.